all the rest. Happy New Year, whatever it is that's on your mind today. It's good to see you. hope you had a good week off. I hear that Tim Russell just did a great job in leading us through Obadiah, that most familiar book of the Bible for most of us. We appreciate that very much. We're studying the book of Jonah starting today, one of my favorites in all the Bible. This is a great, great book that has a lot to do with the church of today, the society of today, and you and me as individuals. And uh, let's get right into it and look at it here in just a few moments. But one of the things that we're going to see about Jonah that's so important is that Jonah was called to do something from the, for the Lord, and Jonah just flat turned the Lord down and went the other direction. I'm sure you've never done that before in your life. Well, just in case you might do it someday, we'd like to talk about it. And uh, the important thing for all of us in this room is to find our mission in life. And I want to tell you that one of the most satisfying aspects of, of becoming a Christian for me uh, when I was in my middle 20s was that life began to get really clear for me. There was a focus, and I understood my reason for being here. And it's kind of frustrating to live this life without a clear purpose in life. I've tried it. I know what I'm talking about. It's just not very satisfying. And so uh, I'm so grateful to the Lord that not only does He take us to heaven, but He tells us now where we're going, and He tells us now what the reason for our being on the earth is. Uh, Unfortunately... A lot of guys will just kind of stumble through life and never quite get it, or there may be reasons why they suspect there's a mission there, but they don't want to accept it. Uh, And their life really never takes on all the color and the life and the vitality and the purpose that it could. It's interesting to me that there are so many books that have been written uh, here recently uh, about how to find your purpose in life. I mean, everything from, you know, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person and The Principle-Centered Life and What Color Is Your Parachute and And uh, the same author of that book wrote one on how to find your mission in life. And then, of course, most famously, uh, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren uh, these past few years has been the most popular book in the history of the world. I mean, it's sold more copies than than any other book that's on the list. It's enormously popular. And I think the reason is not only is it well written, and I I commend it to you. If if you've not taken a look at it or if your kids haven't, you might buy it as a Christmas present. I'm sure King Huzzy would be glad to accommodate you, either out of his stock or he can order it for you and have you have it next week. But it's a, it's a wonderful book. But if you look at the book, uh, the book really doesn't have to do with your occupation so much. Your occupation fits into a much bigger picture. And you can see the kinds of things that, that Rick deals with there for us to find our purpose in life. But God really does give us a purpose in life. And I'd like for us to think for just a few moments about what that is. And I think this is important for us because Jonah had a real clear purpose. The Lord told him exactly what to do. And sometimes we think, well, he hadn't told me what to do. I mean, if he told me, maybe I could be like Jonah too and run away. Uh, well, the Lord has told us. And, and let's look how, we, how it is we find our mission in life. Let's start there. And, you know, the Lord just says, first of all, you've got to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If your ambition is to do something other than seeking his will, his righteousness, his glory, The expansion of his kingdom rather than your own, you'll never get it. If God is creator, if he really is, and if he's ruling in heaven, if he made everything and is governing everything, doesn't it make sense that the only way you're going to find your mission in life is if you get in touch with the king of kings and figure out what it's all about? So the first thing, the first requirement, and this is where most guys screw up, they think they can find out their mission in life without being passionate about the advancement of God's kingdom. It ain't going to happen. You can superimpose like an existentialist some sort of meaning on your life, 
But if you think very much about it, you're going to do like most existentialists did, and that is commit suicide. Because it's just this big involutional circle revolving around yourself, going nowhere fast. So if you don't start outside of yourself and find the ultimate reality, you're not really going to be able to convince yourself that you have a meaningful purpose in life. So first of all, seek first his kingdom. And then you must study his word. Why? First of all, his word tells you about his kingdom. It tells you what the big game plan is. And if you're not studying his word, just like we're doing in the Minor Prophets, this part of God's word is very important. We'll see again today in Jonah why this is very important. Why we have to study Jonah 1 to understand our own purpose in life. Study the Bible. You'll get the kingdom and then you'll get the values of the kingdom. You'll find out not only what the big picture is and what the big mission is, but you'll find out what you're, how you're supposed to do it. Your values tell you how you accomplish your mission. Your mission tells you what. Your values tell you how. And the Bible tells you both. The Bible also gives you an inspiring vision. So you have what you're supposed to do, but the Bible will give you the big, glorious picture at the end. That's the reason we studied Revelation last year for some of you. It's so that we get the vision of the Bible. So we've got to study the Bible in order to know our own mission in life. And then just simply ask him. You know, James says you don't have wisdom because you don't ask. It's just so simple. Do you want to know why God has you here? Would you please have a conversation with him? <laughs> Would you please take enough time in your life to have a conversation while you're reading his word, which is his word to you? You ask in prayer, Lord, give me wisdom. That's all Solomon did. He wanted wisdom so badly. He said, he said God, I'll give up the whole kingdom if I can just have wisdom. Teach me how to lead. And God granted that simple prayer and made him the wisest man in the Old Testament. Just ask him. Then you must be able to assess yourself honestly. Now, if you love God, if you love his kingdom, if your only desire is to serve him, now you're ready to assess yourself. Because all you're doing with yourself is deploying your resources in the interest of the kingdom, not in the interest of yourself. You cannot assess yourself properly if you have a self-centered desire for this life. You will in inevitably inflate your, your own value or deflate your value one way or the other because your center is off. When you're really seeking to serve Christ, you can acknowledge that he's given you gifts. It's not a matter of pride. It's a matter of responsibility. And a lot of guys just want to downplay themselves and, and downmouth themselves because they don't want to take responsibility for the imminent gifts that God has given them uh, to apply to his kingdom. So when you acknowledge you've got something, now you're responsible to use it. And that's the reason most guys will just you know, kind of look at their shoes and shuffle around a little bit, not even acknowledge they have these imminent gifts. At the same time, sometimes we think we have more than we have. Paul says, assess yourself honestly, just like you, if you're, a, if you're a, a general sending your troops into battle, you assess all your resources. And the most important resource is the human resource. And you've got to know what you've got in order to go into battle. If you're putting yourself into battle, you've got to know what you've got. And then, of course, you have to assess your environment honestly. If my aspiration is the expansion of the kingdom, what about my environment is not kingdom-oriented? That is, what are the challenges around here? And what are the priorities? So you have to look at the big picture of the kingdom. Look at yourself and the resources available. Look at the environment in your family, your business, your church, your community, your nation, and your world. All those concentric circles. Look at all those needs, and you're, you're applying the resources God has given you into the environment that you have honestly assessed. Paul assessed his environment. 
When he told the Romans he was going on to Spain, he said, I've already hit all the big cities here in Turkey, in Asia Minor, and in this part of Europe. I'm going on to Spain. So Paul had assessed his environment, and including the world, and he said, I'm going on to Spain. You must seek wise counsel. If you want to know your purpose in life, you're not going to do it outside of meaningful relationships. Because you will, because we're all sinners, you and I will inevitably get off track, either not assessing ourselves honestly or not assessing our environment honestly, unless we're in community. Community is what reaffirms your own suspicions about what your gifts are and are not. Community reaffirms what your suspicions are about the needs of this environment and what they are not. You've got to be in community. So if you're trying to hang out here uh, like an isolated uh, island, you're not going to know what the big picture is. It's impossible unless you're in community. So you seek wise counsel. And you are basically, gentlemen, you are basically known by your advisors. You realize this? You are known by the way in which you seek advice. You can seek whatever advice you want, and you can get whatever advice you want. You can get whatever, or 360 degrees around the circle, you can go in any direction you want to based on the advice you seek. So you can never say, well, you know, he told me, well, no, you sought him. And so seek wise counsel. Learn while on the move. That is, uh, I always tell uh, kids, students who are getting ready to graduate from college, who are trying to figure out, what's my first job going to be? So I don't know. You know, and in one sense, it doesn't matter. Just do something. <laughs> Just get on the move. Uh, it's, it's one of my predecessors used to say, it's easier to steer a moving car than to steer a parked one. <laughs> Just get that thing rolling down the road, and then you can start to steer. And you begin to assess yourself when you're in motion, when you're in gear. So you young guys especially, I just say, get the thing moving. You know, I don't think you really probably figure out what it is you want to do until you're about 35. When you get in your early 30s, the thing starts to take focus for you normally. Some of you are a little, you know, behind times, like in your 60s, and I still haven't figured it out. But normally this happens. You're abnormal because normally it happens in your early 30s. But while you're in your 20s, hey, just get the thing on the road and do something honorable and get your hands dirty, and you'll figure it out while you're on the move, what your purpose in life is, what your mission in life. And then submit to God's providence. You know, if you have a debilitating disease, or if your wife becomes gravely ill, or if you lose your partner, or, you know, if the economy tanks, whatever it is, you just receive it from God. He's in control of the universe. He's in control of your personal life. He's ordered everything in your life. For your good and his glory. And it doesn't do you any good just to complain about it. Uh, Jonah was complaining. He's a bad complainer. We're going to see in Jonah how much he complains against God's orders and God's providence. But you're going to do a whole lot better when you accept his providence and realize that he reveals himself to you in his word. And guess what? He actually reveals himself to you in creation and providence. You don't have an infallible interpretation of providence unless it's in the Bible. But he is still showing you how he's going to lead you. Accept the elements of providence in your life. Take the necessary time. Don't get in a big rush to figure out what your mission in life is. Contemplate it. You need time alone with the Lord. Take the time you need until it focuses. Uh, when it starts, it looks like it's just an avalanche of realities and facts and truth that you're trying to assimilate. It takes a while to sort all that out and to get a focus for your mission in life. And then I would just say keep plugging. You may not... 
You may not believe that you've really got your mission in life firmly down in your own mind. But uh, while you're contemplating it, don't sit still. Keep plugging and serving the Lord, serving your neighbor. Now, what are the impediments to fulfilling your mission in life? We're going to get to Jonah in just a minute, believe it or not. What are the big impediments to fulfilling the mission in your life? I find, first of all, it's fear. Uh, that should be Matthew 25, 24 and 25. Uh, in Matthew 25, you have the story of the man with the one talent. Why didn't he invest it? Why didn't he double it like everybody else did? The reason was he was afraid of his master. And sometimes we're, we're afraid of circumstances. We're afraid if we step out and really tr- seek to fulfill our mission in life, we're going to fail. So we're, we're afraid of failure. I know a group of very successful CEOs who meet in a little group and have been doing so for years. And one of them told me that after 20 years of meeting, finally the truth came out about why they were all successful. And the truth was they were successful because they were afraid of failing. (laughs) They said, if you don't go up, you're going to go down. And most CEOs and most leaders, most guys like you are succeeding because you're afraid. There's another way to live, I just want to tell you. And that is to live boldly. And if you're not living boldly, not trusting that the Lord is going to take care of you, once He's shown you His mission, sends you out on it, He's going to care for you. And yes, of course you may fail in the eyes of the world, but you're not going to fail in His eyes, and He's not going to cease taking care of you and providing for you. So deal with the issue of fear and worry. Jesus says, don't do that. He said, I clothe the grass of the field. It's thrown away tomorrow. And it's beautiful. I, it's more beautiful than Solomon. I feed the ravens in the air, the birds of the air. I feed them. Don't you think I'll feed you? So seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you as well. So deal with your fears. If you're going to find your mission in life, you're going to have to stand straight up to those fears and start talking to them and tell them where to get off. Weariness. This happened to Elijah after his great... Great moment of success on Mount Carmel. The next thing, he was just tired, sitting under the broom tree, pouting, depressed, out of it. Weary. And the Lord gave him rest. The Lord gave him food. And the Lord said, get up and go out and go back. And get back into your ministry. So, yeah, you need to rest sometimes. Uh, But sometimes you will not even see your mission because you're tired. And some of you don't know how to rest. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. You don't know how to rest. You're not in your Bibles. You're not in prayer. You're not in contemplation. You're not taking a walk in the woods. You're not getting exercise. You're not doing the things that really keep your mind and heart open to the ultimate things in life, which show you what direction you're going in. And I remember talking to a guy about uh, Jesus Christ. This was years ago. I was a steel salesman. And he said to me, Wilson, I know you're a religious guy. But he said, look, I'm on a train. He was a CEO. He said, I'm on a train going 200 miles an hour. I don't have time for these things. And I said, Don, if you're on a train going 200 miles an hour, you ought to know where it's going. (laughs) I mean, that's going nowhere fast. I mean, literally. And so why don't you figure out the direction of this train if you're going to go that fast? Most guys are just going fast and they think there's value in fastness. There's only value in going in the right direction. And if you're going fast in the wrong direction, you're much better off being a turtle in the right direction. So be sure that you know the direction and you're dealing with your weariness enough to figure it out. Loss of vision. Hezekiah said, 
Oh, boy, I'm glad that curse is not going to come. It'll be fine in my lifetime. He wasn't even thinking about his children. He wasn't even thinking about his grandchildren. Loss of vision about the kingdom and about the succeeding generations. It'll kill your vision if you sell out. Saul sold out. Uh, he was told to go fight the, the battle and to slay all the enemy. And he decided to keep some of the sheep and the, sheep and the goats and, and the king himself. He said, oh, that was a great battle. Why don't I just take some of the spoil while I'm at it? He just sold out took his short-term advantages and didn't continue the long-term battle. Why? Because we get comfortable, self-satisfied, and complacent. Those things will kill your sense of mission in life. You get a little money, or some of you, you're in your 50s. For some of you, this will sound like a foreign language, but some of you, you're in your 50s, you're thinking, you know, I can almost see the end of the tunnel here. I can, you know, if I wanted to, I could retire right now. You know, got a few million Stored up, you know, I could retire right now. Yeah, you know what you're thinking about? A fat, lazy, complacent person. I'm sorry. I said it to you. You can say the pastor insulted me today. That's fine. Because that's exactly what happens to a person. in, In a wealthy culture, you start accumulating a few things. Things that are sufficient for your own satisfaction. Your material satisfaction. And this culture is swimming in money and resources. And you start getting a few of those things and you start imagining a little golf down in Florida. <laughs> You're not having to get up early in the morning. This is starting to sound pretty good to me, come to think of it. And you start getting real complacent and you then lose your vision because you're too fat, you're too wealthy, you're too resourced. And I want to suggest to you, one of the things you might need to do is get rid of some of that stuff just to keep yourself a little lean. And if, if you're looking for a place to get rid of it, I got some ideas for you <laughs> in, in the mission of the church. But look, you sell out because you're starting to think just about your own material comfort. You know, I, it was just so much fun this year. And, and I am sorry about you UT fans. And, you know, when, when people make jokes about UT, I mean, John Coakley, isn't it true? I mean, jealousy is an ugly emotion, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's always next year. Right. Keep it up, buddy. So... You know, I've been thinking about those four balls this year. But then on the other end of the spectrum, look at look at Joe Paterno. I mean, this guy, he was written off. They had websites about getting rid of Joe Paterno because the team was losing. And here, they're number four, aren't they, in the country? I mean, they're going to end up in one of the top teams. If they win a bowl game, they end up in one of the top teams in the nation. This guy is 79 years old. I mean, he's old. I'm sorry, some of you here are 79. He's old. And you know what? You're old. You know? And this guy is beating all these young coaches all over the place. And then I read about, what's his name? You know, the former coach at Arkansas, 80 years old. Famous guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy's getting married. 80 years old. I mean, there's a guy who's got a sense of mission in life. You know what I mean? I just say, why don't, we take a, why don't we take a page out of athletics? I mean, these guys seem to just keep on going and going and going like an ever-ready battery. You know, what's wrong with us? We've lost our mission in life because something came along that made us a little more comfortable. Watch out for that. Don't sell out. Loss of self-confidence. This is a big one. I would say most guys lose their sense of mission in life because they really lose their self-confidence. And look, I'm not talking about self-centered self-confidence. I'm talking about Christ-centered self-confidence. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, who's sufficient for these things? And ultimately, at the end of the book, he says, we're sufficient. Because the all-sufficient Christ is living in us. So He makes us sufficient. 
And just remember, if God has gifted you and given you a clear mission in life, you just go ahead and step out there because your confidence doesn't have to do with whether you're smart enough, good-looking enough, charming enough, and all the rest. It has to do with whether God is in this and God is behind it and whether you believe that God will be with you. I'm not talking about being foolish and doing things you're not gifted for. I'm talking about doing things that are beyond what you can accomplish in your own natural strength. Pride and grandiosity like Solomon. Solomon blew it. Here's the man who's the wisest man in the Old Testament. He gets old and has all these pagan wives, starts worshiping their gods, building altars for their gods. It's, it's just a criminal sight in 1 Kings chapter 11. It's just so disappointing. Here's a guy who lost his vision, lost his sense of mission in life, thought he was above the law, thought he was above God's calling, all the rest because of grandiosity. And then you have misguided anger. And this is what Jonah's getting into, is that we're going to see. And sometimes, you know, if you, if you, some of us struggle here with anger getting out of control. When, that does, when it does that, you're going to find that you're fighting your old battles and you're wrestling tar baby instead of getting engaged with a mission. You're still fighting the fact that your daddy abandoned you when you were four years old or whatever it is. You're still fighting that battle, getting angry over it, and that anger and bitterness and resentment keeps you from stepping out and making any difference in the world. You've got a mission in life. And let's play it out. And let's learn to deal with anger, which Jonah had to learn to do. Now let's look at this, this book, Jonah, first chapter. Let's take a look at it and we'll read it. And then we'll analyze what it has to say to us today about our mission in life. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Let's stop right there. And notice this. God's call to us is clear. Look, it couldn't be clear here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The essence of the call is revealed to us. That is, it's given to us by the living God. We don't dream it up. It's given to us. You say, well, I'm not sure I understand that. That it's, I understand that it's given to Jonah, but what about to me? Well, look with me, if you will. Uh, keep your finger in Jonah. Go to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to notice something about Jesus' disciples, which includes us, of course. That Jesus calls us. Mark chapter 1, Jesus has been baptized, sent out into the wilderness, and now he begins his ministry. After, this is verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, there's a summary of the gospel. Verse 15. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he, look at this word, called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So the word called is used in verse 20. And notice what the call consists of. It consists of an announcement of the kingdom in verse 15. And then it consists of an invitation in verse 17 to come. Follow me and I will make you something. 
I'll make you fishers of men. And in verse 18, notice the proper response. At once. So there's an immediate response and then there's a radical response. They left their nets and followed Him. So it's immediate and radical because the calling from Christ is based on the ultimate things in life. The kingdom of God has come. It's here. The big deal has come. Therefore, come and follow me. Now, turn over to Mark 3. And you'll see the same kind of language. In verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside, 313, and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So Jesus is taking initiative with his disciples. He calls them and they come. You see that? And so it's by his initiative and we respond. And then in verse in chapter 6, it's interesting, Mark, Mark uh, you get three of these call uh, sections. But in Mark chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 6b, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. So Jesus calls us to himself and then he sends us out. Come and I'll make you fishermen. Come and I'll send you out to cast out demons. So there's a, in the calling involves bringing us to himself and sending us out in his name. Well, you say, well, I understand that for the disciples, these were the apostles. You know, I'm not, I'm no apostle, Wilson. But back off. Well, look in Romans chapter 1. This is page 1809 in your study Bible. Romans chapter 1, and you'll get the same sort of language for everyday Christians like you and me. In Romans chapter 1, uh, he says, in verse 5, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people. Here's the word call from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Verse six. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So, see, the regular ordinary Christians like ourselves have been called to belong to Christ. Uh, turn over to the next book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. Look at chapter 1. You see similar language. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is 1843. Page 1843. 1 Corinthians 1.9. Paul says, God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Once again, using that language of calling. So we have a calling on our lives. Uh, let's look at just a couple more examples. Turn toward the back of your Bible. This would be page 2018. 1 Peter 2. And he says in verse 9, this amazing pair of verses... But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, those are, you know, there are, other, there are many examples of that usage of that word. Let's go back to Jonah. <coughs> but you can clearly see that we are called the called. 
in the Old Testament, the ones who were called were the prophets. They were called. The apostles were called. Christians are called. So we have every bit as much a mission in life clearly revealed in the Scriptures as do the prophets and the apostles. And by reading the Bible, we begin to understand what that calling is all about. Normally, when you use the word calling, you're thinking about my calling is to be a banker, my calling is to be a doctor, my calling is to be a lawyer, my calling is to be a preacher, or whatever it is. Your calling is to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, salt and light in this world to transform the world so that the kingdom of God reigns here on earth as it does in heaven. That's your calling. And you're a preacher only because you believe that you are gifted as such and have a desire as such and the people of God have called you to do such because that's the best way you can advance the kingdom of God. And that's the reason you're a doctor and that's the reason you're a teacher and that's the reason that you're a banker and all the rest because you believe that's the best way for you to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. It's part of your calling. And through that occupation, you'll express your global calling of being a representative of God around the world. Now, the essence of the call is revealed. Just like it was to Jonah. The question is, are you going to accept it? That was the question before Jonah. It's infallible. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's infallible. It's from God. And when you're called to be a Christian, it's infallible. It's just as infallible as that Bible. Because it's the same God who wrote the Bible that called you in your heart to follow Him. And if He calls you in such a way that you become His, that's an infallible calling. And also, it's irrevocable. Paul says in Romans 11, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now, it's it's revocable for me to be a pastor. That calling is a secondary calling. It can be revoked. I can do all kinds of things. I'll get that thing revoked real fast. And you can have your occupation revoked too. But you could never revoke my calling to be a Christian. Because that's my calling in life. That's my mission in life. Is to, to undertake the mission of Jesus Christ in this world. It's immediate. It came to Jonah. That is, Jonah didn't have, uh, presumably, some person come up to him and say, Jonah, I've got a great idea for you. Why don't you go to Nineveh and preach the gospel there? That'd be a wonderful idea. No, it came straight from God. Let me tell you something. Your mother may have led you to Christ. A school teacher may have led you to Christ. A coach may have led you to Christ. Your pastor may have led you to Christ. But when you're called by Christ, it is immediate. Paul made much of this in his calling to be an apostle. He said, no man gave me this. The Lord Jesus Christ gave me that. Well, let me tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, you've got the same thing. No person told you this. Jesus Christ spoke to you through his word into your heart immediately and personally. So you see that the mission in life begins with an understanding of your calling, which is revealed by the living God. That's how important it is for us to have our mission in life. Now, notice the mood of the call. It is imperative. He says in verse 2, go, go. Just like he says in Matthew 28, go into all the world. Here he says, go to that great city. So Jesus or God doesn't say to Jonah here, i got a suggestion for you. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He gives commands. In our mission in life, we're under command. We're not under suggestion. We're under command. So it's an imperative mood. Our mission in life comes from a a commander-in-chief. And you may question him sometime in your heart. I know you do, because I do too sometimes. I don't understand why he does things the way he does. But I know I'm under command of the the commander-in-chief. And the purpose of the call is a divine purpose. He says, because. Isn't it wonderful? He wouldn't have to say because. He could just say, go to Nineveh. Why? Because I told you to. But he gives Jonah a reason. 
There's a divine reason. There's much wickedness in Memphis. I'm sorry, in Nineveh. There's much, there's much to be done in that city. It's a great city and it's an evil city. And it needs you to go and do something about it. So the command is to go and there's a divine purpose given. So this is God's call to us. It is very clear. Now, let's read on uh, in verses. Uh, let's look at verse three. Just look at verse three. We're told here after receiving such a divine call. Verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Boy, does this ever look familiar. Heading for Tarshish. I've had that feeling before. I've done that before. I do it a lot, actually. <laughs> and it's just you have this terrible feeling in your gut when you know that you're on your way to Tarshish. Look down at the bottom of page 1462 and look at that map. Now, if you look where uh, Judah is on the lower left-hand part of the map, uh, of course, Jonah is a little north of there. He's up around the Sea of Galilee, which is above the word Joppa there. That's where Jonah is, okay? Now look over to the top right, and you'll see Nineveh, which of course is Iraq, right off the Tigris River. That would be east, if I'm looking correctly. East, northeast. Now, look at the bottom right of that page, and you'll see a bigger map of the Mediterranean. From Israel to Tarshish. If my mind is looking at this correctly, I believe that's west. (laughs) I believe that's the exact opposite. We go in the opposite direction. This is nutty. What is wrong with this guy? It reminds me of the guy, those of you who are Second Presbyterians and you're in church on Sunday, it reminds me of this guy, Dimitri, I was telling you about. I was sitting next to a guy on my flight to Kiev, Ukraine two weeks ago while you all were here Amen. And uh, and I said next to a guy, I was just wiped out. I didn't want to talk, but he started talking, telling me his whole life story. Didn't ask me anything about myself. Went on for 45 minutes. And his story is, his, he's a Ukrainian, but his wife and two children live in Ireland. And he's leaving them. And he's going to his, see his girlfriend in Kiev. And he says to me, you know, just, he says, I'm going to tell you my whole life story. He just starts, to, he says, my big problem is these damn religious people. He says, they tell you you can't have any fun in life. They've been telling me I'm supposed to stick with my wife that I don't really love very much and my two kids. And my wife hates my guts anyway. They don't understand anything about the emotion and love and romance of the heart. And that's what it's all about. And that's what I'm going to go do. These dang religious people. And he just went on and on and on. And then he turned to me and said, what do you think? And I told him about how, how I said, you know, 30 years ago, if something dramatic hadn't happened in my life, my wife would be sitting next to you on this plane to Ukraine. But I told him about how I'd fallen in love with Jesus. We had this long philosophical discussion. And here's a guy. He is on his way to Tarshish. He's supposed to be in Ireland. And he's going over here to see his girlfriend. So I give him all this long discussion. I make some points with him, actually. And then I say, you know, Jesus forgives sins. He'll forgive your sin. I said, you know what? He's also, he is gracious enough even to change the, the heart of your wife. And I said, if you'd like to receive him right now, I'd be glad to lead you to him. He said, hell no, I'm going to see my girlfriend. (laughs) 
Amazing. And I realize you know, that's exactly what we do. He was just more honest than most, most of you. <laughs> He's more honest than I am. I, I mean, I plan things like that, but I would never admit it. You know, I, I come up with these little flimsy excuses that maybe I didn't know better or I just lost my mind or something. No, I planned it. And that's exactly what Jonah was doing. He, he went to Joppa, got his tickets. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was planning his escape from the living God. And that's what Dimitri was doing. Dimitri had in his inside coat pocket four airplane tickets for his next four trips to see his girlfriend. I mean, look what I was fighting against. <laughs> I wanted to see this woman. And, uh, and Dimitri said, well, she's not picking me up. Her brother is. I thought, you know, I think about this. Some married guy is pursuing your sister. Yeah, I'd pick him up at the airport, take him out of the woods and shoot him. I mean, look at the perversion of this whole thing. You know, he's fleeing away. He's got other people involved in his conspiracy. It's just a web of evil and deceitfulness running directly opposite to the Lord. Now, it's interesting. Dimitri has said to me in the baggage claim, he said, hey, come here, sit down just a second. So I went and we talked a little bit more. And then he said, I want you to know something. He said, I know this meeting was not an accident. <laughs> Understatement of the year. <laughs> so as I told our church, I said, now, look, I've been praying. I told Dimitri I was going to pray for him. I said, Dimitri, I'm going to pray for you to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm going to pray for you to go back home to your wife and children. And I'm going to pray for her to forgive you. And I didn't tell him the fourth prayer, which was I prayed for him to have the most miserable week in his life. <laughs> and uh, one of the people in, after church said uh, on Sunday said, you know, he may not have had a bad week last week with just you praying for him, but this week it's going to be hell on earth. <laughs> so you pray for Dimitri. He's, he'll email me back and say, please stop praying for me. Now, look at this. We go in the opposite direction. When you're fleeing from the Lord, it's not a sideways attempt. You're not just a little bit off. You're going in the opposite direction. When you flee from him, you're in the opposite direction. Don't make any excuses about, about being just a little bit off. You're on your way to Tarshish. And that's what's going on. And you'll never get your mission in life when you won't submit to the command of the call to do what he tells you to do. And you plan it. You have to plan it to go to Tarshish. And you're, some of you right here sitting around these tables are planning things right now that you know are on the way to Tarshish. And you're not going to get by with it. I'll show you that in a minute. You ain't getting by with it. <laughs> and we have our reasons. Jonah had his reasons. He had some very good reasons. Let me give you his reasons. His reasons were, as we're going to see in this book, the Ninevites were terrible people. They were brutal, violent, vicious, terroristic people. And, then, and Jonah says, number one, Lord, I don't think it's too safe over there, but number two, why don't you just go ahead and damn those people? Because they have cut off people's heads. They've ripped the wombs of pregnant women. They have exploded cities with their vicious violence. These people need to be dealt with, God. And I don't want to go to Nineveh. I hate those people. And God, if you had anything moral in you, you'd hate them too. If you'll look at a, just a scope of history with me for just a moment, and I don't, don't expect you to get all this, but let me just give you an illustration. These are the, the rulers in, in Assyria. You have Ashurnasirpal, 
in the ninth century, his son Shalmaneser, who defeated Ahab in the middle of the ninth century. And then you have Jeroboam II in the eighth century. Now, this is where Jonah is right here around 746 and a little later. And then you have this Assyrian domination coming in the Near East. Israel is pillaged by Tiglath-Pileser III in the latter part of the 8th century. And then Nineveh becomes a great city by the time of Tiglath-Pileser. Let me just read to you an account of uh, Asher uh, Asher Paul and one of his battles, which would have been just a few decades before the time of Jonah. Here's what Asher Nasserpal said about their battles. I flayed the skin from as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skins over the pile of corpses. I cut off the heads of their fighters and built with them a tower before their city. I burnt their adolescent boys and girls. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off others, their noses, ears, and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops I made one pile of the living and one of the heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city and so on. These are the kind of people these these people are. So Jonah had his reasons. He was saying, Lord, I think think something must have happened in the transmission. I probably didn't hear you correctly. Go to that part of the world? That's like going to Pol Pot and trying to evangelize him in Cambodia. Or going to Hitler in Germany and, and trying to evangelize him. Or going to Stalin and trying to evangelize him after he had butchered 22 million Ukrainians. Or it's like going, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go evangelize the terrorists, and let's let's go talk to Osama bin Laden and Al-Zarqawi and all the rest of them, and let's, let's, let's have a little Bible study with those folks. Are you nuts, Wilson? That's what Jonah felt like. Go evangelize the terrorists. And God has something very important to teach Jonah, as we're going to see that his intention is a lot bigger than Jonah ever imagined. That he has a mission that goes way beyond the heart of Jonah. It's called the heart of God. So Jonah had his reasons, but here's the last point. You can't outrun God. Nobody can. You cannot outrun God. And once you're called, once you give your life to Him, you ain't getting by with this. And here's the reason. God controls the weather. (laughs) Ta-da! Let's look at verse 4 and see what happens. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out uh, to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. (laughs) And they say there's no God. Verse eight. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord Jehovah, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, (laughs) look at this irony, look at this irony. They are teaching Jonah that he did a terrible thing. They are reluctant to take his life because they don't want to get in trouble with Jehovah. And now they're praying to the Lord. (laughs) It's amazing. So instead, they cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. He controls the weather. He also controls the pagans. So if he tells you that he wants his kingdom expanded throughout the world, including the most violent places, including the most dangerous places, including the kinds of places where we can lose people in this mission, if he tells you that, just realize, number one, he controls the weather, the entire environment. And he controls them. It's just amazing, amazing how he was eliciting praise and pleas for mercy from people who are worshiping other gods. He controls the pagans. First of all, he despises their gods. You notice in verse five and six, this almost dismissing of their gods. They 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 call on their gods and nothing happens. They cried out to their own gods, but the storm was still raging. Their gods are useless The message from the Bible is that once you find the right God, the only God, the true God, then be assured there are no others. And every God that is made up that is not the true God is a nothing. People are worshiping nothing instead of something. That is the foolishness of false worship. And God has revealed Himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has fully revealed the Lord. And Jesus said, if you want to know the Father, you must know Me. To know Me is to know the Father. To know the Father is to know Me. You cannot come to the Father but by Me. He made it very clear. This is the one God. And Jonah makes it clear too. Jehovah, He is God. He's the one, said said Jonah, who made the heavens and the earth. You want to know where this storm came from? Why don't you talk to the one who made the water and made the air? And so he despises their gods, but he values their souls. Contrary to ourselves, the living God loves the people who are raging against Him. He loves the people who are raging against you. He loves them. He has a desire to bring more of them in. And so your mission is going to have something to do with your enemies. That's the way it's going to work. Jonah had to find this out. Big time. And he uses their lives. You can already get a little foretaste of what's going to happen in chapter 3 when the Ninevites repent massively. I'm talking about major revival breaks out in this wicked city. And Jonah says, I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) Because Jonah knew something about the mercy of God and he suspected if he took that message to his enemies, his enemies would benefit. That's how bad Jonah was. That's how narrow his thinking and his love was. So God will control the pagans just like he controls the weather. But lastly, and most importantly, he controls you. <laughs> you're, you're on your way to Tarshish. You think you're getting away with this. All hell breaks loose. You're wondering where that came from. Well, guess what? And then the pagans, you know, they dump you and throw you out 
and the Lord rescues you. Well, guess what? Well, this is, it's an amazing incident, isn't it? Just an accident that that big fish came by. I'm just amazed at that. How many times have you seen that a big fish swallowed a person and they survived? How many times has that happened? It's just amazing that accidents happen in the Bible like that. It was no accident. God spoke to that animal. And that fish came right along. And we will learn in the poem next week that Jonah had his feet wrapped up in seaweed. He was down near the bottom. And the whale comes by, or whatever great fish it was, and takes him and saves him. Now, that may not be the way you want to be saved. (laughs) Maybe a chariot lord. Maybe a Cadillac and an escort. A whale? (laughs) Give me a break. (laughs) uh, Anyway, he will not necessarily rescue you the way you want to be rescued. But notice that the Lord provides, just like he did with Abraham and Isaac when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son and the angel stayed his hand. And then the Lord provided the ram in the thicket for the sacrifice. The Lord provides. So if he loves the pagans, remember, he loves you too. And so he's going to capture you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to rein you in. And he's going to provide all the ways to get you back on your feet. And maybe, maybe, some would be wise enough to learn not from difficult storms and circumstances, but would be wise enough to learn from the stories revealed in the Bible about other people's storms and circumstances and turn around and get that ship going toward Nineveh instead of toward Tarshish. Maybe someone would do that. Maybe that's what Christians are supposed to do. Maybe we're supposed to be men who study the Word and have our lives disciplined and trained by the Word of God. I believe that's a much better way to go. But notice the love of God. If that's not the way you're going to go, you know, some kids, they just have to be disciplined more than others. You know, and sometimes that happens to us. But remember this, it's all because of the love of God who wants to be sure that your mission in life is His mission for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the mission that is clearly given to us in the Bible to promote Your kingdom and to expand it uh, around the world. And we pray that You'll help each one of us as men to figure out what that means in our own time, in our own lives. We thank You for Jonah, for the transparency of his life in the Scriptures, and for Your telling us about him, even the worst parts of him, so that we can relate to him. And we pray that You'll help us, Lord, if we're on our way to Tarshish right now in any aspect of our lives, that you'll help us to turn around right now and make our way back to Israel, make our way back to your people, make our way back to your word, make our way back to the mission that you've given us uh, to lead and to serve in a sinful and adulterous generation. Help us, O God, for we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all.